This morning I want to start on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, rather than with words, with some numbers. 183, 3, and 307. These are not hymn numbers to look up for later in the service. Actually, these numbers relate to Jesus and His teaching and His words. As we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Jesus is asked 183 different questions. As you read through the Gospels, you'll find that, that 183 different times, someone asked Jesus a question. Whether someone in the crowd, someone from among his disciples, someone from among the religious leaders who were questioning him, 183 times Jesus was asked a question. Yet only three times did Jesus answer a question directly. Jesus never left any doubt in the minds of those who were following who was in control of the conversation. More often than not, when Jesus was asked a question, he either responded with a question of his own, or, or he told a parable, or he might have answered the question somewhat indirectly, but that only happened about eight or nine different times. More often than not, Jesus didn't answer questions directly, but instead he challenged those who were around him to search into their own hearts and to seek the Lord themselves. To practice what we often talk about here at South Tulsa as the hard work of introspection, where we ask the Lord to help us to search ourselves and not always be so concerned with what we see in others. Yet that last number, 307, relates to the number of questions that Jesus asked of others. He answered only three questions directly, but 307 different times in the Gospels, Jesus asked someone a question. Again, modeling for us that that work of introspection is so incredibly important if we are to grow in faith. Someone once said, a picture is worth more than a thousand words. Jesus modeled in his teaching that a good question is better than a hundred good answers. And perhaps the most important question that Jesus ever asked was recorded right here in Matthew chapter 16, in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And in particular, it's the second question Jesus asked that dug in very personally to his disciples and who they said he was. But before we get to the second question... We need to deal with the first question that Jesus used to get to the second more important question. And the first question he asked is, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? What are people saying about me? You know, the truth is many of us waste way too much of our time worrying about what other people think about us. I love what someone once said, we would worry a lot less about what people think of us if we realized how seldom they actually do, right? <laughs> but Jesus here is not asking this as if he's worried about what other people think, nor is he bowing down before the court of public opinion. But instead, he's asking, in, in, in the place that he's asking this is incredibly important, who are people actually saying that I am? Setting it up to where he gets to ask the disciples that second question, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? 
to understand this first question, it's incredibly helpful to know just a little bit more about the place they were standing. This place called Caesarea Philippi, where Matthew tells us Jesus asked them these questions. You can visit Caesarea Philippi today. It's actually one of the more amazing places to visit in Israel. I've been there a couple of times where much of what Jesus and the disciples would have seen in person that day is still there for us to see today. There's a natural flowing out of a cave there at Caesarea Philippi. You can see it there. It's sourced from the Jordan River. And so in many generations, the Hebrew people would come to this place and because of, of its connection to the Jordan, they would say, thanks be to the God of the universe, our creator, our Lord, for giving us life. And they would see this picture of living water and remember what, what their God had done for them, the one true God. But over time, this became not so much a Jewish area, but a Gentile area. In fact, even today, if you're going to try to go from the Sea of Galilee to Caesarea Philippi, it takes a while to get there, and we have nice tour buses that take us there. In Jesus' day with his disciples, it would have been a bit of a journey to get to this place. And so Jesus must have had a reason that he chose this spot, Caesarea Philippi, to ask these questions. Today, when you visit, you can see some of the remnants of what the Gentiles worshipped and how Caesarea Philippi had transformed into a very unique place all unto its own. Some of the temples and, and areas where people would come to worship false gods and idols and, and other parts of culture, they're still there. You can see where people worshipped some 2,000 years ago. And if you'll indulge me for just a moment, I want to take you back 2,000 years ago to ancient Caesarea Philippi and to, to what it would have looked like when Jesus and his disciples were there. They came into this place and, and there were still many temples that were standing. If you were to look this direction, one of the first places you came to was this gate, this, this second cave that has a huge hole in it. And people began to say this was a gate to the underworld. What did Jesus actually say in the text we read? The gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. Standing in Caesarea Philippi, he, he could point to a location that people actually saw as the gate to the underworld, the gates of Hades. And what often drew people to that spot where they would offer sacrifices, in some cases they would do very depraved things in front of the gate to the underworld. What drew them there was fear. People were afraid, and fear often drives people to give their hearts or their worships to things that are not God's at all. The next spot you would see there is the temple of Caesar Augustus, made of white marble, built by the Herods. Some say the Herods built the temple to Caesar so that then they could name these places after themselves. Give their shout out to Rome, but then acquire more renown, more power for themselves. This was a place where people would come to worship politics. To worship Caesar, the emperor of Rome, as if he were a god himself. You also had in ancient times, Baal worship. If you've ever read through the, the Old Testament, you've seen that Canaanite god's name come up time and time again. Baal was an imposter. He was not a true God, and yet so often even God's people gave their worship to Baal and their sacrifices 
and glory to Baal, glory that they were only supposed to give to God himself. By the time of Jesus, that place where Baal had been worshipped had turned into a temple of Zeus. And people worshipped the Greek God, another imposter God, instead of worshipping the one true God, the creator, the source of life, like the people had done in the past. And above all the gods that were worshipped there, when Jesus and his disciples were there, the god Pan rose above all of them. And though there are many things that are attributed to the Greek god Pan, like nature and goats, the animals, they, they would sacrifice goats to Pan and bury them in these upper and lower temples. But above anything else that Pan was worshipped for, he was worshipped for sex. And ultimately what was the reality in Caesarea Philippi is not much of a different reality today. The same things that people worship in our own culture were the same things that people would gather together in this place and worship 2,000 years ago. Things like sex, money, power, greed, politics, fear. And it's in this place where there were so many dead things to which people were giving their hearts and giving their worship that Jesus asks the disciples, what are people saying about me? Who do people say the Son of Man is? In the shadow of the gates of Hades, of Baal, of Zeus, of Pan, of Caesar, and of others, Jesus asks a question about his identity and his authority. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples replied, Some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I believe Jesus asked this first question so that after answering this one aloud, they would then have to answer the second more important question aloud. But what about you? I know who people say they worship. I know what people say about these these dead things around here at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus certainly was not surprised that people were calling him John the Baptist reborn or Elijah or, or, or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Jesus says, set all that aside and in the most personal way possible. And I pray this morning that you would hear Jesus asking you this question as if you were standing there among those 12 disciples at Caesarea Philippi two millennia ago. What about you? Who Do you say that I am? There were a lot of misunderstandings about who Jesus was. And the truth is today, Jesus is still often misrepresented. And listen, as the church, where we've ever been guilty of this, as a teacher myself, as as believers ourselves, where we've ever been guilty of this, we have to repent and set that aside and make sure, just as is modeled for us in this text, that we only present Jesus and represent Jesus for who he truly is. Because even today, Jesus can often be misrepresented. When we say, who do people say Jesus is? There there are lots of different flavors to the answer when people are asked, who is Jesus? Sometimes we present a very Americanized Jesus. As if when Jesus returns to the earth again, he's going to be waving an American flag. I don't think that's going to be the case. Sometimes we present a very partisan political Jesus. 
as if he's a savior who always votes the way we prefer the votes to be cast. Some misrepresent Jesus as, as one who will make us wealthy or make us successful, as if our whole relationship with him is transactional. We give so we can get. Others represent Jesus as a good teacher. Rather than being Lord, he's more like life coach Jesus, right? And there are others who simply just say, Jesus is the one who condones whatever I want to do and whoever I want to be. Many of the gods and idols of our culture are ultimately not all that different than the gods and idols who were worshipped at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus and his disciples were there. And yet getting to the heart of the matter, Jesus says to them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? I had a friend who a few years ago had not surrendered his life to Jesus as Lord. And, and over the course of a few years, we'd been in conversations back and forth about faith and about God and about Scripture and about Jesus. And after several of those conversations, my friend finally said to me, look, I definitely know that I believe in God. And I believe that God created the universe. And I believe that God created me. And he said, and I believe that God wants something from me. He wants something from my life. But then my friend said next, but I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do with Jesus. If you've ever been to a funeral or a memorial service that I've officiated here, and some of you have been to too many of those here, in every funeral, every memorial service I officiate, I always say this statement, what we do with Jesus is the most important decision that any of us will ever make. And my friend wrestled with that. I, I, I know now that I believe in a creator. I believe in a deity. I believe there is some purpose for my life. But I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do with Jesus. Again, here, this question that Jesus asked the disciples then as if he's asking you today. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Jesus was demanding a verdict regarding who he is. And surprise, surprise, among all the disciples in that group, which one was willing to speak up on behalf of the group? Simon Peter. Simon Peter, who about half the time when he would speak up, he would put his foot in his mouth, right? But the other half, Simon said some incredible things, and Jesus helps us understand here just how it was that Simon was able to say what he said. Simon Peter answered, well, you're not John the Baptist. You're not Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Nothing about you is related to these dead things that people worship here at Caesarea Philippi. No, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And I love how Jesus helps us understand how it was that Peter could have said this. Because it, it, it's ultimately that when Jesus asked this incredibly important question, God himself is the one who gave us the answer to the question. Jesus replied with a beatitude statement, a blessed statement. Blessed are you, Simon the son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And the earliest Christians took this confession 
that Peter spoke at, at Caesarea Philippi in this unique place in light of any other answer that could have been given. And, and upon that confession, as Jesus says, the church was built. I love what the ancient Christian Cyril of Alexandria said. Peter did not say you are a Christ or a son of God, but you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Today, what is your answer to that question? What about you? This is what Simon Peter said. This is what the Lord led him to say. But what about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then Jesus brings these very powerful words to the disciples about what's going to come next. I tell you, he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, on this confession of faith that you've made, this, this foundational statement that God has just given you to proclaim, upon this rock I will build my church and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What's the difference between those who have been given the keys and those who have not? Those who are given the keys are welcomed in. Those who are given the keys have access. Those who are given the keys have responsibility. There's no other way to enter through the door unless you have the key, unless you're able to break in. And I can assure you this, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, nobody's going to be able to break in. The book of Revelation describes it as a door that only opens from the inside and Jesus himself is the one who opens the door. The keys of the kingdom of heaven will be given to you and you will be welcomed and you will have access. And where the living Lord is, Jesus Christ, and where the living Lord reigns, Jesus Christ, you will reign with him forever. If only you would be able to answer that same question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he in your life the Messiah, the son of the living God? Or is he a savior that looks a lot more like the representation of those dead things instead of those things that are alive? The keys of the kingdom are blessed by heaven itself. Jesus says, as, as you go forward, as I build my church, the doors that you open through the power of my spirit, heaven will be in agreement. Things that are, are loosed will be loosed in heaven. Things that are bound will be bound in heaven. The doors that the Lord opens, heaven will be in agreement. And, and things will, will begin to come to pass like Jesus prayed when he prayed the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, this is what that means. We do not have to wait until we die or until Jesus returns to experience what it means to know the living Lord and to be a part of his kingdom. We can experience that right here and now because he is alive. We serve a living Lord. We do not serve a dead Lord. We do not serve a dead God. We do not serve a Lord who is made of wood or metal or stone or carved into a rock. We serve the living Lord. And Peter, as, as the very Spirit of God was speaking through him what the Father had revealed, said, you 
are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? That is who you are, Jesus. How do I know this is true? Why do I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that he truly is the Messiah? Well, ultimately, I believe it for the same reasons the first Christians believed it. And every generation of Christians after that has believed it. At the center of what we believe is what we are here to celebrate today. That Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. And because he is our living Lord and Savior, just as we opened up with Matthew's telling of the resurrection at the beginning of this service, because he is our living Savior, we can be made alive in him And experience the life that he gives for eternity. But if Jesus truly is Lord. And if he truly is the son of the living God. And if he truly is the Messiah. Then that verdict demands nothing less than everything we have to give. That that verdict about his identity and his authority. Demands nothing less than all of our hearts. All of our lives. All of our worship. Why? Because only he is worthy of our worship. Today, maybe, maybe you're wrapped up in some dead things. Maybe you've been giving your heart, your worship, your life to some things that are not life-giving, but they are draining the life out of you. I think about in our own culture, so many of our idols, sure, we worship the same old idols like money and power and, and success and, and sex and the, and the idol of self, sure, we, we lay down sacrifices and worship at those altars. But you know, another thing we're driven by, and Jesus talks about that with the gate of Hades, where, where people would come to that place in Caesarea Philippi and worship, they were driven there by fear. And how often are we also tempted to lay down our sacrifices at the altar of fear? You know, one way that fear reveals itself a lot, I think, here in the 21st century, it's an anger. Don't we live in a day where, where constantly people are trying to manufacture anger even where there shouldn't be any? And that's driven by fear. And it happens to us all the time. It doesn't matter what we watch. It doesn't matter what we scroll through or what we're hearing. There's always someone telling us that we're supposed to be mad about something. It was amazing to watch just this last week with the women's college basketball tournament. And now you had two sides trying to make you angry about what one player did here and one player did there. And I love a couple of days into that, both of those young ladies, those athletes said, hey, we're good, by the way. We're not mad at each other. Why is everybody else mad? We're not even upset. And this whole thing is about us because that's, the, that's our times. That's our, our culture. We're always supposed to be angry. What does anger lead to? Jesus talks about it often. Anger leads to bitterness, it leads to resentment, it leads to hatred. And those kinds of things eat us alive from the inside out, and they eat away at our soul one bite at a time, to where again, we're not receiving life-giving things, but things that take the life right away from us. Today, perhaps that, that's an idol that you need to let go of, and if fear is a problem for you or anger or some, some other temptation or sin or, or struggle or stress, 
Hear Jesus' words, what I give to you, not even the gates of Hades will be able to overcome it. We can be free from fear. We can be free from anger. And listen, we can be free from sin. Because just as Jesus is our risen Savior, He promises us when we confess that He is the Lord of our life, we die to our sins and transgressions. And we are made alive in Him. Here in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And and give us the opportunity that perhaps today you need to come to Jesus Christ and answer that question. Who do you say that I am? And experience that forgiveness and experience that freedom as only He can give it. Again, as if Jesus were asking that question directly to you. Who do you say that I am? What is your answer today? Some of you might be honest and say to Jesus, you're not much to me at all right now. Honestly, you're not, you're not a very big factor in my, lives, in my life. Some of you might say, Jesus, you're, you're kind of an inconvenience. I don't have time for you right now. I haven't had time for you yet, but, but I'll get around to you at some point. For others, Jesus might be more of a convenience for you. You call out to him in crisis. You call out to him when you need help to score points with your argument. You call out to him to help you with your business or your job or to make you look more religious. But ultimately, your answer to the question, who do you say that I am, is not that he is the Lord of your life. Maybe today you would say he's been the Lord of my life before, but he's not right now. At least I'm not living like it. What better day than today, Easter Sunday, to take the step to come back to Jesus and to surrender your life and say to him, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, and you are the Lord of my life. If you'd say today that you're in a great place with God, congratulations. You know there's always more growth to be had. But if you're in a great place with the Lord, that is fantastic. Would you take this time here in a moment when we pray and have our time of response, would you take this time just to pray for somebody else? Pray for somebody in this room or or somebody watching online or however you feel led to pray, but perhaps you would would take this time just to pray and lift somebody else up. Today, if you hear Jesus asking that question to you, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And you haven't had a good answer. This is your chance to step out and today publicly to come to Jesus and say, here's my life, here's my heart, here's my all. I want to give one more invitation before we pray. Just like we did a few weeks ago, we have filled up the baptistry this morning. Maybe you've never actually publicly underwent this symbol of baptism where where we, we, we demonstrate through this symbol that I have died to my old life and I have a new life in Jesus And today on Easter Sunday, like so many throughout the history of the church have been baptized on Easter Sunday, listen, I would love to baptize you today. I have postponed my Easter lunch, so I have nowhere to be. And if you today would like to take that step, we have have fresh new swimsuits available, shirts, robes, whatever you want. And today I would love to walk with you through that, that step of baptism right after this service if you feel led to do that. Would you stand with me? And as we have this time of invitation and response, would you 
as you bow your heads with me, just, just hear Jesus asking that question as we pray. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Lord, I thank you today that we can say you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. As we pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the Holy Spirit, how incredible it is that we can even be here in your presence and live. The same things that Jeremiah said about God, this this confession that Peter made about Jesus rings true. The living God. The one when his voice rings out, the earth trembles and shakes. The one who is not represented by things that are dead and things that take life away, but is represented by that which is fully alive and gives life, eternal life, to all who believe. It's in the name of that living Lord Jesus we pray today, and God, that I ask you would move in every heart and every life, that today, wherever we find ourselves, whether it's the first step or the next step, that today, every single one of us would take a step of obedience. And I pray that you would help us to do the hard work of introspection, that you would search us now and lead us to take that step of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our ministers to come forward. This is a public opportunity for you to step out and to come to Jesus Christ. We're here to receive you. If today you you want to answer that question, who do I say Jesus is? And we'd love to talk with you more about how you can surrender your whole life to him. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Any decision that the Lord's leading you to make, if you feel led to make it public, please step out and come forward right now as we sing.